0: Enough of something completely different. It's a rich world. Forget everything you've been told by others before. Get ready for the real deal. The full story. Real talk about money. Markets. Life. Now, it's the real investment show with Lance Roberts. Presented by RIA Advisors.
1: And good morning. Welcome to the Tuesday edition of The Real Investment Show. Of course, as we uh kind of keep grinding our way through uh, summer already. And, uh, you know, already as we keep talking about this, and we have the Fed coming up next week, going to be talking about, uh, yeah, you know, more rate hikes. That's what's coming down the road. Uh, following that, of course, on the 17th of the month, that Friday is also one of the largest options expiration days that we've got coming up in recent history. So 3.2 trillion. We talked a little bit about that yesterday. So lots of stuff kind of just out there, kind of hanging around, just kind of, you know, laying on top of the markets right now, keeping investors very, you know, worried, right? And that's really kind of the juxtaposition of today's article that's on the website as well that, you know, despite the fact that investors are very worried about the markets, right? I mean, if you take a look at sentiment gauges, fear gauges, positioning gauges by professionals, everything is very, very bearish, right? Lots of fear. Uh, But interestingly enough, if you take a look at investor allocation, still very heavily weighted towards equity. So despite the fact they're very afraid about the markets, not really doing much about it. And this is kind of an interesting psychology that's going on in the markets. You know, after all these years, after 12 years of where the Federal Reserve has been, you know, supporting markets through quantitative easing and corporations have been doing massive amounts of share buybacks, Investors have been taught a lesson that, you know, don't, you know, you can't be out of the market because the market's going to turn around just any day and you got to buy that dip and the market's going to go up. And that's one of the big things right now that's going on that I think is really interesting is that people, despite the fact that they're very worried about the markets, they're also trying to figure out when to buy the dip. And as we've talked about before, you know, the one thing that happens in bear, real bear markets. Now, this isn't a bear market that we're in, right? You know, we've we've had a decline this year, and it's certainly been a very disappointing year in terms of returns so far. You know, it's not been a, a great environment to be owning stocks in. I get it, right? But we're still not in a real bear market because too many people are still wanting to try to figure out how to buy that bottom. Now, when's the bottom going to be there? Just tell me when. And I'm going gonna, I'm, I'm gonna to get in the markets. And that's not a bear market. When we actually get to a bear market and, you know, valuations are really cheap and stocks are really beaten up across the board, you're not going to want to buy equities. You, you know, you're going to be done with the whole market thing. So, you know, it's just an interesting dichotomy despite the fact, as I said, and this is really kind of the juxtaposition of the article today, is despite the fact that everybody's so worried, you know, about the market and and a bear market and and potentially a big decline in asset prices not really willing to sell anything right now so still really sitting on a lot of those allocations um you know kind of across the board but you know speaking of that you know markets have you know had this little bit of a rally here been very disappointing on this rally we talked about having this reflexive rally something to sell into right so uh you know again we've talked about using these rallies to sell into And over the last couple of days here, markets really haven't done anything at all. Just, you know, yesterday was really a disappointing day. Started out on the upside very nicely, kind of retested the top of this little trading range we've been in for the last week. And then sold off and finished barely off the lows yesterday. But again, I did finish in positive territory. But um, again, really kind of a disappointing trade day. This morning, markets looking to open lower as, you know, still concerns about the economy inflation the fed um you know warnings coming at target this morning uh lowering their outlook from five percent sales growth to two that's you know that's just kind of what's impacting the markets everybody's seeing the slowdown coming um from consumers because of higher inflation just can't make ends meet now we'll have an interesting um report out this morning to pay attention to and that's credit, consumer credit levels. Now, last month or last report, we saw that that number jump by fifty billion dollars. Huge jump in credit as consumers are going back into credit to to take out more loans, et cetera, to make ends meet. You know, that's not surprising given where we are with this current economic environment. You know, all that liquidity we sent to households, they used to pay down credit, well that's gone so now they're having to charge everything back up on their credit card so big jump last month on consumer credit we're about to see that number today it's expected to rise less than last last time like I said last time we were about 50 billion or so this is expected to come in around 35 billion won't be surprised to see that number a lot higher than expected uh, just because of uh, the cost of higher gasoline and food prices etc so it'll be a very interesting number to see. How many people are really going back in, tapping more of that credit to try to make ends meet? That's also what's been supporting retail sales, right? And as we've talked about before, retail is about volume, it's about dollars. So if I'm buying the same amount of stuff but paying a lot more for it, retail sales go up, and that's what we've seen, and there's been a lot of reports like, like, oh, the consumer's a lot stronger than expected. Look at retail sales. No, they're just paying a lot more for the stuff that they've got to have to survive, and they're having to do it By going into debt and so that's that's what we're going to see today we want to pay close attention to that because again that really kind of tells us where we are in the cycle if we're seeing a lot more credit ramp up as consumers are tapping on those credit cards to try to make ends meet there's a limit to that i can i mean you know unfortunately the banks aren't willing to extend a bunch more credit right now in in this environment so there is a limit and then once that limit is reached in terms of credit expansion then we start to see that consumption really fall off. So I think we're closer than not to seeing a real downturn in retail sales here in the next month or so. One of the reports I'm working on right now is the NFIB. That's the Small Business Federation. They put out a survey once a month. And one of the interesting things that is coming out in that survey is there's uh, and a lot has been a lot of talk about how many job openings there are right? And, and what's an interesting dichotomy in that survey is they're saying they want to hire people, right? They have job openings, right? I've got a job opening, but I'm not filling it. And I'm not filling it because of either I can't find the labor for it, yes, or I don't want to spend the money for it because I'm not real sure about where the economy is right now. I'm not really committing, you know, wanting to commit hiring an employee and training them and putting them on payroll which is expensive if i'm not so sure about that you know forward look in the economy and so we're starting to see that gap really widening up between expectations to hire and what we really did did we actually hire those people we put a job posting out did we hire them that gap getting bigger and bigger here and that's that's also a good pre-recessionary sign that's the kind of activity we see by companies going into a recession so uh, again, a lot of these things really kind of coming together. As we talked about, though, this market's had this very nice rally back to the top of this downtrend. We've been in a very defined channel for the markets here over the course of April and May. From that March peak, just a very steady downtrend. at the top of that downtrend now, not really able to break out of it. That's really keeping traders kind of suppressed here at this kind of this range over the last week or so. If we can't get above this downtrend here in the next day or so, and again, we'll see what happens today. But if we break the lower end of this consolidation, we're going to retest the bottom of this downtrend, which will be setting new lows for the markets in this cycle. And again, that may start to really kind of concern investors. So look to raise a little bit of cash here, rebalance positions accordingly. And then of course, you know, as we said yesterday, don't forget to take profits. Even in things that are doing really well right now There's a lot of things like in the energy sector, extremely extended. So part of your rebalancing, raising cash, don't forget to take profits in your energy stocks as well. So be right back after the break. We're going to talk about why free trading, which has been one of the backbones of the free apps, right? Like Robinhood, where you get free trading apps. We're going to talk about why that may be coming to an end, coming right up here after the break. I'm your host, Lance Roberts. Don't go away.
0: Get daily investment news you can use. Delivered at the speed of the Internet at realinvestmentadvice.com.
2: Hurricane season is here, and along the Texas Gulf Coast, we know how to prepare. What we don't always know is which way the storm will go, and if a hurricane does come your way, whether your house will flood. Fortunately, you can get flood insurance. Unfortunately, flood insurance rates have skyrocketed. Don't be at risk. Let the specialists at RIA Insurance assess your needs and shop your coverage for the best rates possible. Another service from riaadvisors.com. Click on the insurance tab, riaadvisors.com. The Real Investment Show.
1: Welcome back to the show this morning. It's uh, six seventeen. So one of the things that has really been a boon to, I guess, retail traders for the most part over the last you know few years in particular has been this rise of free trading. And you know it's it's great, right? I mean, I can go and you know buy stocks like crazy, and um, you know and that works out really good as long as markets are going up, of course. <laughs> but you know one of the consequences of free trading has been worse returns for individuals. And this is because of the fact that free trading, you know, promotes more trading, right? And the more that investors trade, the more often, you know, if there's no no cost to trading, right? I can just kind of trade my brains out. And there's plenty of studies that show that more trading leads to worse returns over time and you know people are are, you know just kind of just churning their portfolios to a large degree and you know there used to be a time back in the day that when you know it would cost you 25 bucks to make a trade and so there was a little bit of a break on that trading right do i really want to spend 25 dollars to sell these shares or to buy these shares and so this kind of slowed down trading and holding periods for stocks were longer and returns were subsequently better for investors. But over time, you know, because of the rise of E-Trade and because of, you know, these online digital apps, the, the, the drive to lower the cost of trading has been there, right? And as we talked about, you know, previously, is that free trades aren't free. And we have seen, you know, repeated evidence of this over time. And, and, you know, Robinhood is a good example of that, which is the free trading app, right? I can go onto the app, open up an account. I can trade stocks and not, not pay anything for it. And I'm like going, oh, look, it's free trades. Isn't that great? But it's not free. And as we talked about before, free is never free. There is no free lunch on Wall Street. Somebody's making money. And it's just a question of who is. And, well, of course, we found out that what Robinhood was doing was selling their order flow, right? So they would book up all the orders. You know, they get everybody wanting to buy shares of Apple. People sitting there clicking their orders in on their phone. They bundle those shares up, and then they send them over to Citadel who would then basically place trades in front of those orders one way or the other where they would profit, and Citadel was paying hundreds of millions of dollars to Robinhood for that order flow. Now, if you're sitting there going, well, they wouldn't do that. Why would I pay $100 million to Robinhood for data if I couldn't make a mo- more money on it than the $100 million, right? I'm not going to do something just out of the goodness of my heart. So if I'm going to pay somebody $100 million for data, I better dang sure be able to make a $200 million out of it or more. And that's exactly what Robinhood was doing with Citadel. And Citadel is one of the largest payment-for-order-flow hedge funds on the planet. They do this to the tune of billions. Now, You're still sitting there going, okay, well, so what? I still got a free trade. But yes, you got a free trade, but you didn't necessarily get the best price for it. So your cost was more or less than what the going order flow or or the order was, which is where Citadel made their money. And that's how payment for order flow works. So again, you know, kind of the the interesting thing here is that we think that something is free but it's really predatory on retail investors. As as is generally all the, always the case with Wall Street. You're kind of you know, retail investors are always kind of the cannon fodder for Wall Street and they're going to make money off you one way or the other. And so they give you something and go, "Look, we're going to give you free trades. Isn't it it's awesome? We're so nice of us. I mean, so generous. We're giving you these free trades." Kind of like uh, Greeks bearing gifts. (laughs) There's always, you know, the other side of this. But I thought it was interesting because now uh, now whether or not this comes to fruition or not is debatable. And I think there's more than a reasonable likelihood that we'll never see this actually come to light. Because it's not in the best interest of Wall Street. And the Wall Street has Wall Street in general. Has a lot of power over the SEC, even though the SEC is supposed to be regulating Wall Street. I, you, you figure it out. But whenever they want to pass a rule, who do they go talk to? They go talk to the guys on Wall Street, and the guys on Wall Street say, "No, that rule would be terrible, right? It would, it would, it would uh, impact liquidity in markets. You don't want to do that." Well, they're just saying that's impacting their ability to make a profit. But according to the Wall Street Journal. SEC Chair Gary Gensler directed staff to explore ways to make the stock market, and I love this line, more efficient for small investors and public companies. Now, there's a lot of aspects to this, you know, this kind of direction they're headed. But one of those aspects that I think is the most interesting for the markets and for retail investors is Gensler said that he wants to make ensure that brokers execute orders at the best possible price for investors. The highest price for when investors are selling the lowest price if they are buying. Now that sounds great. That's actually, that's the way, guess what? That's the way it's supposed to work. Even now we are supposed to have best order execution, Right, So orders are supposed to be executed at the best price for the buyer or the seller. That's supposed to happen now. That's why I have level two quotes and level three quotes and all this other stuff. Because we're all supposed to be an open market, and we're supposed to all be executing at the best price, but that's not really the way that it works because of this payment for order flow stuff that goes on. When Robinhood is an example is executing a trade and they're saying, okay, we've got a million shares of Apple that, that people want to buy. So we're going to go out and buy that million shares of Apple and then distribute it to the people that just placed orders for it. And it's supposed to happen very quickly. Nanoseconds. What's supposed to happen is that goes out, you get best bid, you get best bid and offer and the trade gets executed at the best price. And that price is translated back to the retail investor, that's always supposed to happen. But if I'm selling my order to only one person, right, I'm selling my orders to Citadel and I'm getting paid for that. I'm not getting best order execution. I'm getting Citadel's price. And that Citadel's price with a markup or markdown, depending on what they're doing. So what happens here in this idea is that what they're talking about potentially is moving trading into an open auction. Now, what does that mean? Basically, orders like from Robinhood is an example. So when orders are placed, they'll all go into a big pool, and then traders, brokers, Wall Street, will then begin to bid on that execution. So you got, you know, 30 brokers in the room, they're all bidding to say, look, I'll execute that at you know $75, I'll execute that trade at, at 74, 99, 99, you know, and they all kind of bid on it. And whoever winds up with the best price, that's where it gets executed. So the problem with this is, is that now all of a sudden, in order to get that business to execute those shares, it's going to drive prices lower for the retail trader that's the good thing the bad thing is is that that's going to rip out the profitability from wall street which means that most likely in or if, if this would come to fruition right and we actually go back to a method to where retail traders and investors are getting the best execution it would also likely mean the reversal of free trading because, again, Wall Street's got to make money on the trades. And this was the the thing about commissions previously is that, yes, they were executing your order previously at the best price, but they had to charge you a commission. That's how they got paid for executing the transaction. Somebody's got to make money on the trades. And I can't do it for free if there's no profit. If I can't front-run your trade and if I can't make an execution that is profitable to me, As wall street then i then i can't do it right so something's got to give either you've got to keep allowing front running to go on which is what happens now and how you get free trading or commissions are gonna have to come back which again isn't a bad thing commissions are not a bad thing they're actually a good thing because it slows down that trading process right now people can just you can Trade your brains out because there's no cost, right? I'm in, I'm out, I'm in, I'm out. I'm losing money, but I'm in, I'm out, I'm in, I'm out. Um, You know, once you start having to pay a commission, you know, a little bit more work has to go into those decisions to buy or sell something because of that cost. Slows down day trading. Reduces volatility in the markets. Increases liquidity. There's actually a lot of benefits to having commissions on the books so we'll see what happens here um, again I don't know if this is something we'll actually see come to fruition because again there's a lot of money being made by Wall Street right now on front-running trades free trading has been a huge boon to Wall Street and profitability if you don't believe me just go take a look at their trading book so doubt anything actually comes out of this but If it does, you know, the bad side, commissions would come back. The good side is that it would be a lot better for retail investors. All right, quick break. We'll come back. More of the real investment show coming up right after the break
2: in 1999, a para group of financial advisors were busted by corporate giants for trying to operate in their clients' best interest. These men promptly escaped from a high-cost margin environment to the Houston Energy Corridor. Today, still excoriated by their former employers, they survive as protectors of others' fortunes. If you have a problem about preserving capital, if no one else can help, and you can find them right here, maybe you should hire the RIA team.
0: You're listening to The Real Investment Show.
1: So welcome back to the show this morning. 633. We get this Tuesday underway. Coming up on Friday, of course, uh, this week. We're going to be looking at CPI again. And the uh, question is, is Has inflation finally peaked? And are we going to start to see a kind of a lower rate of inflation? So, you know, last month we saw inflation tick down just a bit, uh, still high, still over 8%. But will we see that number continue to trend lower? Here over the next few weeks. Now, the good thing about that is that if that is indeed the case, if we do start to see inflation starting to tick down a bit uh, for the markets, that may be somewhat supportive in the hopes that maybe the Fed won't hike as much. Now, if we see a, another big jump in inflation um, in this next report, then of course, you know, all bets are off the table. But, you know, interest rates have been moving up here the last couple of days in anticipation of that CPI number. Um, again, if it does come in weaker than you know, than, than expected, then we may see you know kind of a reversal and and some of this buildup, you know, so better performance out of stocks and bonds um, in that environment. So we'll see. But again, you know, the the causes of the inflation, you know, are varied, and some are already coming out of the system, others are not, and some will take longer. Uh, to come out of the system. but they will eventually. I mean this is uh, again, you know via you know via whether we go through a recession and that's what causes the the contraction or just by the natural kind of laws of of rebalancing and, and economics of supply and demand that you'll get lower rates of inflation with the two, right but very likely we will see these inflationary pressures come down and historically, they tend to fall pretty quickly generally because you're in a recession. And, you know, if we go back in history, you know, back to 1950, and look at inflationary runs in the economy, and we've had these spikes of inflation, the spike up in inflation is fairly sharp, Uh, the spike down in inflation is fairly sharp, and that's always coincident with a recession. Generally, when you get inflation above 5%, you generally wind up in a recession. And that's not surprising because costs go up and and today more than ever you know it's a bigger problem back in the 1970s you could have this spike in inflation and people were able to survive it for longer because they didn't have very much debt today there's just too much debt and so when you have these inflationary spikes and money gets detracted from you know paying down on debt and credit cards and those type of things and and you know get sucked into paying for a gas a tank of gas it really starts to slow up the ability for people to spend money. and so they've got to start making a decision do I pay my debt and stay out of trouble or do I cut back my spending elsewhere and and so cutting back spending elsewhere is where they start then they wind up defaulting on their debt. That's just a function of time. So again, this is going to be one of those, Kind of interesting things we're going to be watching here over the next few weeks, but I think this week once we get the CPI number out, we can start to see if we're getting a trend of lower rates of inflation. I I think it's too early to call just yet, but remember, as we talked about before, you know, we you say, well, you know, how can you have lower rates of inflation? Gas is up and oil's up. Yes, but we're also comparing this number to where we were a year ago. And the number where we were a year ago, had already started rising. So we're now comparing ourselves, this number, to where we were a year ago. That year ago number is rising. So when you're at this point next year, now think about this. So we're, when we're talking about inflation next year, we're going to be comparing it to 8.2% inflation this year. So, see, this is going to make it much more complicated to have these higher pressures of inflation. Now, this doesn't mean things are getting any cheaper, by the way. As we've said before, this is a function of math and how the market looks at inflation. But how you look at inflation is very different. How you look at inflation is is that the cost of bread, the cost of gas, the cost of eggs, that's high. And it's high now, and it's going to be high a year from now. But there won't be as much inflation. And you're like, well, that's stupid. Yes, I know it's stupid. But that's the way it is. But that's when it comes to the financial market, that's how we look at things, right? So, especially with the Fed. So, once we start to see the disinflationary math of inflation come back into the markets, then the Fed is going to be in a much better position to start potentially slowing their rate of monetary tightening. We'll see. Right now, of course, uh, we're going to see next week, the Fed's going to talk about hiking rates by 50 basis points. And this is this is happening against a backdrop of lots of warnings by companies. Target out this morning warns of weaker margins, dropping their profit margins uh, expectations from 5% to 2%. And the reason they're doing that is because of an excess build in inventory. Now, hold on a second here. One of the reasons that we have inflation is because of supply chain disruptions, right? Right, Not enough supply, too much demand. That's why we have inflation. Now, companies are talking about, I've got too much inventory. Which, in order to get that inventory moved, I've got to do what? I've got to start discounting prices. So, once inventories start to get discounted, now you start getting price deflation in the economy. So see this is this is how we talk about inflation versus deflation or disinflation. Deflation is negative inflation, disinflation is lower rates of inflation. So what we're going to be talking about here in the next few months is a disinflationary backdrop in the markets. And this is because of builds and inventories. And it's not just Amazon. Uh, Sorry, it's not just Target. It's also Amazon. It's Walmart. These are the biggest retailers in the country, and they're all talking about too much inventory, too many employees. Got to start uh, cutting back on employees. Hiring freezes are now becoming a much more prevalent term with company reports. Now, this kind of follows in a sequence. You know, you go from a hiring freeze to a layoff, to a furlough, right, to a layoff, to firing. (laughs) So, you know, you're going to go through this, this process with companies as they try to balance their employment relative to their economic outlook. And, look, CEO confidence right now is just absolutely plunging. CEOs are not confident at all about what the next 12 to 18 months look like for their outlooks. Now, when a CEO is not confident about the outlook, what's the first thing they do? Well, they cut back on their hiring, right? Hiring is the most, you, the employee, are the most expensive item on the income statement. I got income coming in and I've got everything going out the back door, just paying for employees, benefits, health care, all that stuff. Cash flow. So companies have to really start thinking about, do I hire people, right? All these job openings we have. Look, it's I can have a job opening sitting out there, and as I just talked about with the NFIB report, just because I've got a job opening sitting out there doesn't mean I'm hiring people. There's a lot of companies that consistently have very high turnover, restaurants, et cetera. They have very high turnover. There's always a job opening sitting out there for a lot of restaurants. Because by the time they get one waiter hired or a busser or a dishwasher or whatever hired, one's quitting. So job openings are never really a great metric to look at. And what's really important to look at is what are companies actually doing? And if you take a look at, like especially in the NFIB report, as like I was saying earlier, the number of employees they've hired, right? Now... They're saying that over the next three to six months, they're going to hire a bunch of employees. But if we go back, well, what did you hire three months ago? What did you hire last quarter? Well, last quarter, they were saying they were going to hire a bunch of people, but they didn't actually hire them. Right? There's this big gap between what they say they're going to do and what they actually did. And this is always the case with business because, again, employees are very costly. I can... Having a job opening out there is free. Hiring somebody, that's an entirely different story. And once I hire somebody, it's kind of like getting married, right? (laughs) You know, you're kind of stuck with them for a while because you've got to hire them, you've got to pay the cost for the hire. And if you hired them from a temp firm, you got to pay the temp firm. You know, you got just, you know, all this stuff. And then you got to train them. And now you've got all this investment in them. So once you get married to them, it's really kind of hard to get rid of them. And if they're a good employee, you really don't want to get rid of them because you're not going to get them back. They'll find a job somewhere else. And, and once you fire somebody, they have a tendency to have a bad taste in their mouth about coming back to work for you later. It's like, hey, Bob, got to fire you. Why? Well, I just can't afford you. Okay. Well, let me know. I'll be hanging out here for a while. If you need me back, let me know, right? It just doesn't really work that way. People move on, they get a different job, they go going down the road, and the employer has to hire somebody new. So if I've got a really good employee, I don't want to, A, I don't want to get rid of that, that person because good employees are hard to come by to begin with, and B, if he's a really good employee, I don't want to get rid of him because I don't want him to go to work for my competitor. It's an interesting conundrum we live in right now all right speaking of conundrums we'll come back and talk about stupidity of government and stuff that they do to combat inflation don't go away
0: Get daily investment news you can use. Delivered at the speed of the Internet at realinvestmentadvice.com.
2: Hurricane season is here, and along the Texas Gulf Coast, we know how to prepare. What we don't always know is which way the storm will go, and if a hurricane does come your way, whether your house will flood. Fortunately, you can get flood insurance. Unfortunately, flood insurance rates have skyrocketed. Don't be at risk. Let the specialists at RIA Insurance assess your needs and shop your coverage for the best rates possible. Another service from RIAadvisors.com. Click on the insurance tab, RIAadvisors.com. The Real Investment Show.
1: So talking about inflation, it's interesting that, uh, you know, we just keep failing to learn our lessons in terms of government. And, and again, you know, you always have to remember that government does things in the best interest of themselves, not necessarily in the best interest of the economy. And what they learned during the pandemic was that sending checks to households gets a lot of favor for politicians. People like that. Right, Send me money, I'll vote for you. That's not surprising, right? I mean, really, this isn't rocket science. (laughs) But what they failed to understand is that when you shut down the economy and you have no production, and then you send people a lot of money, what are they going to do with it? Well, they're going to spend it. And when they go to spend it and there's no product to sell them, then prices go up and you have inflation. And so here we are a couple of years later lots of inflation. Now we're getting a bit of a reversal of that, right? As I said, you know inventories are not coming up, the all that liquidity was put into the systems now gone. So this is going to lead to disinflationary pressures, right? Until we do something else stupid, <laughs> which you know now we've got people in government talking about, well, we need to issue more checks to households to help supplant, you know, offset the cost of high child care and for high gas prices, right? When you send gas vouchers to people, that sounds great, right? Just going to cause more demand. And right now you've got a shortage of oil. So what are you going to get? Higher gas prices. But again, this is the short-sightedness that we have in government. I thought this was uh, another good example of this. California. You know, stupidity starts in california then rolls to the east right so i mean you know if you if you ever want to know what's going to wind up in washington dc just watch what they do in california because it's going to wind up in washington you know sooner than later uh apparently you know as they say you know it all rolls downhill so apparently california has a higher elevation than washington dc anyway um california lawmakers want to now buy up water rights right so they're having a drought in california Might be because now I'm just throwing this out there for consideration, right? But it might be because you chose to live in a desert to start with. (laughs) Nature has this really nasty habit of reclaiming itself over time. And so, you know, you can try to convert a desert into a lush, you know, valley. Eventually, the desert's going to win out. It's just a function of time. Anyway, in places like California, why I'm just reading, I'm going to read from this article real quick. Uh, water is a hot commodity these days. With the drought in play, everyone's looking for someone else to blame. Various cities are ordering cuts to daily use for families and individuals, and the primary target for now is California farmers and their Ill- and their legally protected water rights. Now, think about this for a moment. California wants to buy up the water rights. From the farmers. Okay, no problem. Now, California has all the water rights. What do they want to do with it? They want to cut the farming because farming requires a lot of water. So, great. Let's cut on the farming so we can give more water to the citizens of the cities. Okay, no problem. What's going to happen with food costs? (laughs) I mean, this is the short sightedness of what you've got going on yes you know water's important can't deny that you live in a desert can't deny that (laughs) but you know as soon as you cut off all the farming you're going to have higher food prices so now you're just going to cause more food shortages higher food costs more inflation on that front and this is just the short-sightedness of you know what you have going what you have going on you know, and, and it's this kind of stuff that just keeps reminding me of Sam Kennison. Um, if you don't know who Sam Kennison is, he was this uh comedian back in the day. I wish I could play his clips, it's just got too much profanity in, in it for us to, to bleed, yeah, just be one big blip. Um but he, he talks about this fact, he says, I don't understand why we're sending, you know, he 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 was this he was the comedian that screamed at you the whole time. Um not surprising he died of a heart attack. And you know, but you know, Sam Kinison talked about this whole idea of sending food. You know, we're always you know, we see these commercials on television about you know send food to some you know small African nation they need food. You know, you're four dollars a day or whatever it is you can adopt a kid. You know, you've seen all those commercials. Well, his thing was is stop sending them food, send them U-hauls, and move them to where the food is, right? And it's kind of the same idea with California. like send them U-hauls because. A lot of people are getting it, right? They're all moving to Texas, right? Texas is now becoming the new California, unfortunately, and I think we're going to wind up voting that way. But, you know, some people are getting the hint that, you know, the system is broken and the economy is broken and they got to move. And this is a function of what's going to happen. But again, you know, you can, you're going to try to solve one problem, which is a nature problem of living in a desert, to, Another problem, which is creating massive food inflation. And so it's just, you know, they compound the problems and, and, you know, I look, I get it. In California, they want to do, they want to be the socially woke state and they want to do all these great things. And look, it's completely fine if you want to do that. But that's why you've got seven, eight dollar a gallon gasoline because of the taxes. So. You know, you can have all this stuff, right? We can have all this wasteful spending that California does on so many different things, but you got to pay for it somehow. And now you're going to create another problem by buying up water rights, which, by the way, you're going to use taxpayer money to do that, which means you got to raise taxes somewhere in order to do that. But now you're going to create food inflation. So now you're really going to have an unhappy population that still has a shortage of water because you can buy up the water rights. You're still not going to solve the shortage of water and the drought problem. That doesn't fix that problem. You still have problems with electricity brownouts all across the state because of lack of buildup of energy production in, in, in California that is efficient. You know, you just can't do it. You cannot service that type of a population with wind and solar. It's just not going to generate the energy that you need. And so they keep having energy problems. Now you have food inflation problems on top of it. I guess eventually someday they they will wise up and they'll vote for somebody else. I don't want to keep putting Newsom back in office, but anyway. One other interesting thing that we talk about a lot here on the show is demographics. Demographics are destiny. And it's interesting because if you listen to what was going on in Davos um, just recently, they had their big confab up in Davos and all the rich and powerful flew in on their jets and limos and everything else to, you know, create a bigger carbon footprint because they're there to help solve the climate change problem. And one of the big concerns they have is overpopulation. But the reality is, is that the trends of population growth are reversing. And this is going to expedite itself, particularly now that we've all kind of adopted these alternative identities in terms of sexuality, et cetera, that don't produce offspring. And this is one of the the problems that we have right now here in the United States is a very sharply declining birth rate. In fact, we have the lowest birth rate in the U.S. since the 1940s, and that number is getting worse every year. People are, are opting not to have children, can't have children for various reasons, Um, opting for relationships that can't bear offspring, you know, those type of things. So all that's eating into the ability to have children or having children and reducing that birth rate. And we're not seeing it here just domestically, we're seeing it globally. And so now you have this very large population of people moving into retirement. I've got an article coming out that reflects a little bit on this in terms of talking about Social Security, Medicare, Medicaid. Um, that'll be out next week. But these decisions that we're making have a long-ranging impact on the economic survivability long-term. If you don't have a growing economy in terms of demographics, you can't have a growing economy, it's particularly when that economy is based on consumption. And so these choices that we're making, these you know uh, decisions that all alternative lifestyles are fine. We don't have to worry about the consequences of it. You just be you, be free. It's the 1970s again. Just you know, you know, sex, drugs, rock and roll. It's all good. There's consequences for that, and the consequences are going to show up in the demographic trends and economic prosperity of the economy over the next 20, 30, 40, 50 years because as we start to gener- go through generational cycles one generation is becoming smaller than the next you got this massive wave of baby boomers then you have this big slide of of millennials are going through and then after that those those generations are getting smaller and smaller and if you don't if you want to take a look at what the outcome of this is well, here, let me just give you a couple of stats here real fast. In US, in 2020, U.S. fertility rate was 1.6. That's the lowest rate in America's history, a sharp decline from 3.7 in 1960. And if you want to take a look at what the future of that is, take a look at Japan. 92% of Japan is urbanized. Its population is shrinking by about half a million people a year. It's a fairly homogenous Society, there's very little immigration. Its marriage and birth rates have declined steadily, leaving a super-aged nation with 20% of its population now older than 65. And as Japan ages and empties, its economy has stalled and asset values continue to fall. That's the future. And the decisions that we make today are driving that future demographically demographics as will rogers once said it's destined wraps up the show for the day be back tomorrow of course i'm your host lance roberts danny rattle who's joining me we'll catch up on what's happening on you know kind of the other financial planning side of the world as well right here get by the website today realinvestmentadvice.com if investors are so scared, why aren't they selling? That's today's article on the website now. Check out simplevisor.com, our all-digital platform research platform. That's there for you as well. It's all at the website, realinvestmentadvice.com. Three minutes on markets and money will be coming right up. Have a great day. It's
2: a rich